All right, ladies and gentlemen and party people, welcome back aboard the Groove Line. And I've got a special guest with me today. This gentleman has been, you know, a part of my podcast family, probably going back to the very beginning. Um, he does the uh, B- the Broad Street Line with Chris Domingo. They got all your Philly sports covered on a weekly show on Spreaker and a weekend show on 106.5 Philly Cam Radio out of Philadelphia. He also does an awesome food podcast with his wife, Chanel, called John Appetit. And he covers the Sixers and the 80, well, not the 87ers anymore, actually, the Blue Coats. I should know this because I live in Delaware. <laughs> so um, we're going to be talking about the Black Album today. And it's my distinct pleasure, honor, and privilege to have my dog, Roy Burton, aboard the Groove Line. Roy, how you doing tonight? Well, good, man. Thanks for having me, CJ, man. I've been looking forward to this. Absolutely. Glad to have you on. And when I reached out to people to see who would um, talk about the Black Album you gladly accepted the call, and I greatly appreciate it because I didn't want to talk about this album by myself. And as a fellow hip hop fan and someone who, you know, knows about the experience, we can we can both kind of sort of attest to where we were when that album was going on, especially since that was allegedly supposed to be Hov's last album. Right, and and that was the thing, and and I kind of bought into it. Like I probably was you know, one of the few who did, but I thought that was going to be it. Like I really thought that was going to be it. So when it it came out, it had a certain significance. You know that that very few albums you know in my lifetime until that point had because I thought that this was you know the swan song for one of the all time greats. It obviously turned out not to be that, but you know at the time it had a, it had held a very special place. It still does, but it held a very special place in my heart in, in terms of just hip hop albums and and the history of hip hop. Absolutely. So um, we before we before we started on air, we were talking about the documentary, and the one thing that I took away from what I remember most is how heavily Jay scrutinized the beats that he was going to be uh, rhyming over. Because obviously if this is supposed to be, you know, his swan song and Mm -hmm. he's going to be doing a concert at Madison Square Garden and everything leading up to that has to be absolutely phenomenal. Right. And when Pharrell comes to him with Allure, Mm -hmm. remember that part in the documentary? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he's talking about how this is going to be like Carlito's way and all of that. And Jay just has like this, you know, this mean expression, like, this is what I'm, this is what I'm rocking with. And Pharrell's just absolutely over the moon. Yeah. Just what do you think when you think of the production of the blueprint? Because remember it was supposed to be advertised as 13 songs, 13 producers, but um, looking at the credits, um, Justin Kanye each had two tracks. So what did you think when you, um, you know, when you think about, you know, the beats and, you know, how Jay kind of sort of, you know, manipulating his flow over those beats. Yeah, that, no, that, that's that's. I think the uh, I think that was Jay's goal. Was like, all right, here's my last. Again, here's my swan song. I'm gonna have a different producer do a different. You know, every different producers do each track, but then I'm gonna change up my flow on each track. Just just so you guys know that you know I'm talented at this thing. Like I, I'm skilled at this. Like I've been doing this for a long time. It's kind of one of those things where it's like you know, it's like you know, I, you know, I'm you know, I'm, I'm old and I, I've been I've been in this game long enough and I know how to do it. You know, the the quote unquote the new way and the old way. And so it was. A, it's a really interesting approach to do an album. And I don't. I'm not sure. I mean, I can't remember anybody who's done it since. I mean, there may have been a couple of producers who who purpose or a couple of rappers who purposely did this. But I really appreciate the fact that Jay kind of like you said sat down in the studio and you can remember from the documentary like it looks like they were sitting there for hours just listening to beats you know there was pharrell or timbaland which we'll talk about later and just going over the beats and just finding that right beat to kind of hit that right note that jay wants to hit on you know in each and every track so i mean i appreciate the fact that that, that jay did that i don't know how many rappers really take that time 
to do that kind of stuff. But it was, it's again, it's one of those things where Jay just kind of put everybody on notice with his quote unquote, you know, his his encore album. And with that in mind, what would you say is probably your standout track? You know, beats, <laughs> rhyme situation. Everything from the Black Album. What which stands out to you the most? I, I have. I will again. I will die on this hill. I, I will tell anybody who listens, whoever listens to my opinion on this. My favorite track and the track I think needs to be played at every the beginning of every single Jay Z concert from now until infinity is Public Service Announcement. PSA. PSA. Yes. Like the way when PSA. Like when PSA. Like the piano hits. And you're like, all right, this is like this is gonna be this is gonna be crazy, and then like when the beat drops and it's it's just a perfect starter. Like it's like if I if I could see resequence the album, I probably would put that first because it was just it just came out. It just when it hits you, it's like oh, it's like one of those. It's like all right, like I understand, you know, like this like this dude this dude's for real. Like this this is really bringing it. And I was reading before before interview. I was just reading on um. I think it was like genius or whatever it was. It like it just that cut just made the cut. Like it just got in there before they were gonna master the album. Like like just Blaze told him like I got one for you. I want you to listen to this before you finish this album. And then he played the beat. And they, they actually they they show the they show the clean the clip in the uh in the documentary where they're playing the beat. And it's like it just and when the beat hits, you know it's like yo this is special. And I I can't imagine the Black Album without PSA because that to me is like a top five Jay Z song. And I, I absolutely agree. I think what kind of sort of the standout is because it literally is like halftime of the album in terms of, you know, the track listing, because right. it goes because it comes on right after. Uh, 99 problems, right? 99 problems. Yeah. And that was, you know, Rick Rubin kind of sort of his comeback to the mainstream. And yeah. then. And public service announcement kicks off and you realize that Jay really is not playing with these folks. But exactly. It's weird because you follow that up with what I think is probably, and and this is from a person who absolutely hates volume two, mm-hmm. but Justify My Thug absolutely has to be the worst song Hove has ever recorded. <laughs> and, 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 and DJ Quick is probably in my top 10 or 15 of producers, but I had no idea what he was aiming for with Justify My Thug. Yeah, I, I so to I, put that yeah. <laughs> I was good. So, so to put that in between, you know, put that after public service announcement, it kind of sort of I don't want to say it's a damper, but it absolutely kind of sort of didn't serve a purpose for me. No, I yeah, I, I don't I don't disagree. And I, I'm sure we'll talk about the remixes later, but um there there's basically every remix version of justify my thug is better than the original justify my thug and and, and i can't I, I i i went back again i went back earlier today just to listen to it just to remember the, the original just to remember how it was and i'm like i still can't i can't like i i get what i mean i understand what jay was trying to do but it just that that beat just didn't work for me i don't think it worked for anybody to be honest with you for me i would have to say that you know, I'm not going to, you know, PSA obviously, you know, is the standout for a lot of folks, but I still have a very soft place in my heart for December 4th. Okay. I just do. Okay. Because it's a, it's a shy light sample. It's not like classic shy lights either. It's after, if you, if anyone's ever watched the shy lights unsung, you know, after Eugene record left, they kind of sort of went into a, a slight tailspin, if you will, 
<laughs> and uh, <laughs> the song that uh, December 4th samples is from one of those later era Shy Lights records. So it's not like, you know, just went, you know, with Old Girl or Tell Me Have You Seen Her. Mm-hmm. He went deep into the vaults for this. And it gives, you know, if eventually, you know, Jay would give his mom more shine on right. a 444. But to have her, you know, kind of sort of say, okay, this is my son, you know, 10 pounds, the only one that didn't give me any pain when I gave birth to him, which is absolutely amazing when you think about it. We don't yeah. give women enough credit for being absolutely indestructible because 10 pounds of anything <laughs> is going to hurt anybody. Yeah. But when this woman says this kid, 10 pounds at birth, didn't give her any pain and she knew he was a special child, that kind of kicks it off right there. Like, okay, this is going to be Jay talking about his life in full because for the longest time, if you remember, he was kind of evasive about who he was and where he came from outside of representing Marcy Projects. But when he talked about, you know, it kind of started off with, you know, my mama loves me and all of that. But December 4th just really kind of goes into detail about who he who he is and, you know, what he was leaving behind if that was supposed to be, you know, his last album. No, you're, you're absolutely right. That was actually the, the first note that I wrote down when I was kind of taking notes for this. It was like December 4th, you know, one of his more, one of Jay's more introspective songs. Cause like you said, like this is the first time he really talked to Lanth about his mom. I think this was the first time he mentioned his father by name. Um, you know, cause you know, um, Gloria Carter, Adnis Reeves, you know, made love under the sycamore tree. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that was the first time that he actually mentioned his father by name in a song. I, I he would obviously talk about his father more in 444, but I mean, this is, this is the most, you know, this is the deepest that I think we got into Jay-Z's like backstory and, and psyche kind of before, before this point. And again, this is how many albums in, um, into his career is this? This is several albums in, I mean, he's well into his career, but like you said, he was kind of guarded with that, that part of his life until December 4th. And I think with that, it was really why, you know, I really kind of bought into that. Okay. Maybe this is it because most of the time, you know, if he if he gives you a slight anecdote before, like on uh, this can't be life about you know the baby mom with water burst, baby um baby stillborn and all of that, mm-hmm. but that those are just like small glimpses. He never really went into detail right. and introspection as you put it. And for him to do that on that album, it just kind of stands out to me like, wow, he he's really serious. But as we would come to find out, <laughs> <laughs> it was anything but the um anything to the contrary and back to the production angle this was the first time that anyone well not i'm not gonna say anyone but ninth wonder really kind of sort of you know made his lane with threat Mm -hmm. and as as someone who kind of sort of you know is on board with the whole r kelly band thing like i can't get with that dude right but for him to flip one of what i think is you know, one of R. Kelly's greatest songs, regardless of scandal or whatever, and turn it into a really hardcore song with some comedic touches from the great Cedric the Entertainer. Mm-hmm. Um, that really, you know, was Jay sort of kind of reaching out like, yes, yeah, we're wrestling fans. We talk about putting people over all the time. Right. And Jay absolutely put Knife over with threat because that is one of his strongest performances to me. No, no, I I agree with that as well. First of all, I do need to I do need to uh, cop cop a plea. I I was today years old when I realized that it was Cedric the Entertainer on Threat. I had no idea. <laughs> I had no I had no idea that was Cedric. And now I can only hear Cedric uh, when I when I when I hear those parts 
on that song. So I, I apologize for that. But no, you're right. Like that that song, again, the, like the way they flipped that sample and then Jay just came with that hardcore straight, you know, rap bravado. You come around me, I'm going to take you out kind of track. Like, a, you know what I mean? Like a classic, like here it is. I'm bringing it to you like with this song. Work it just worked perfectly. Like the way he rhymed over the beats, like over the various beats in the song, was just. I mean, it was like almost flawless. I mean, it was so good. It's like you, you know, you're you're used to hearing, or at least now, used to hearing rappers, you know, with producers who have similar sounds or the same sound, kind of rap the same over beats. But again, you got Ninth beats, and you got Timbaland beats, you have Neptune's beats, you have Rick Rubin, and then Jay Jay was just able to kind of just like just jump on the track and just rip it. I mean, it was just again, it's something that you you don't really see anymore, and it, it was it was I mean, it was an amazing thing at the time, and maybe even more amazing now. Absolutely. And speaking of Timbaland, there have been some great Jay Z Timbaland collaborations over the years. Yep. Where would you rate dirt on on off your shoulders? Oh wow. Oh man. I I just don't want to, I don't want to say number one because I don't have a list in front of me, but it's clearly top five. It's just like again, we, we talked about the documentary. Like I know you remember, and everybody listening remembers a part where that beat comes on in the studio and Timberland's drinking that gallon bottle of water and he's dancing with the banana and Jay and Jay just gets that look in his face. Like, Oh, okay. Like, you know what I mean? Like this, like that, that stank face. Like this is, this is serious. Like this is, this is for real. That, that beat, man. Oh my gosh. Like that's, Oh, I, I can't, I can't even put in the words out that that's, yeah, that's clearly a top five, probably top three. It's just so good. Um, the, the Lincoln park, when Lincoln park flipped it, like the Lincoln park, Jay-Z, when they flipped it, like that was, like, it's just so good. I mean, it's just that that's one of the that's one of Timberland's incredible best beats ever. And just Jay just Jay just takes it to another level. I can't even imagine somebody else on that beat, like at this point. It was just so good. With that particular beat, because people that are of a certain age, my, we're not dating ourselves, but we're long time <laughs> hip hop fans. So we can remember when Jay Z was doing the, you know, the sort of DOS effects, bone thugs kind of rhyme style. Right, right. And Dirt Off Your Shoulder really brought that kind of style back. Not that mm-hmm. he ever truly went away from it, but his flow kind of sort of became more Brooklyn than Chicago. You know, more like, right. you know, you know, he, he he settled into his voice more. But he took it back to the Hawaiian Sophie era on with Dirt Off Your Shoulders and, and absolutely if if you're if you're if you're listening to um a radio station in the car and they have like these drive time lunch old school yep. mixes or whatever, and you hear and you hear you now tuned into the MF and greatest. And exactly. Start, you, you already know what time it is. That's just, so, that just that just sets it off. That just sets it off right there. Like as soon as you, it's like oh, all right, that's it. Like yeah, don't touch the radio, don't touch the station. We gonna nod ahead to this for the next three minutes, and then you know then whatever happens happens. Like that just that just sets it off right there. Yeah, for me, I would have to say that's definitely top five. I still think that. Come and get me from um, Volume Three is still my favorite Jay Z Timberland um, collaboration, but Dirt okay. Off Your Shoulder absolutely is top five or top three because that song dominated pretty much most of 2004 with very little effort. Yeah, it's it, it was it just again this is one of those the the the, the best beats to me are, are the one and and again that was one of the three singles on that al- album because it was just ridiculous the best beats to me are the ones that were like like five seconds in like that you know it's like all right this is like i've never heard anything like this before and like this is just going to change this is going to just change the whole landscape 
And that's dirt off your shoulders for me. It falls it falls in that in that category. And we talked about um we go we we stay in Virginia right now and mm-hmm. um change clothes. I one one of my um Twitter followers swears that is the worst song on the album and I don't want to block this dude because we've had some good conversations <laughs> over the years, but I don't know how you hate that song when it's really just you know a fun record. Like you know, Jay's. I mean, some of some of Jay Z's trends and um you know influences are you know cool when you know they got people you know dressed up on the dance floor. Some of his influences, like when he tore apart Auto Tune and real and almost sent t-pain to the nut house <laughs> weren't as kind right but i think change clothes really was just like you know him maturing in a way that you know trying not not just talking to other people to say hey you know dress up get fly and have a good time he was talking to himself too because not long after that is when he took over at def jam and i guess he was kind of foreshadowing that well i'm going to step in leo cohen's seat Mm-hmm. Gotta you gotta get rid of the throwbacks. Gotta get rid of the baggy jeans. Right. So, yeah, like I, I could tell. Like, yeah, it was definitely because again, this is the uh, you know I don't wear jerseys on thirty plus. You know, give me a fresh pair of jeans, button up like that. That like we we saw where Jay was going. You know, in in his life with that, I kind of have to agree. Like, I'm not the biggest change clothes fan. Like, change clothes to me kind of <laughs> seems like a like a I don't want it's like a. <sighs> I don't want to say throwaway because it's a really it's a good beat, but I mean Allure is so good that the Neptunes coming with change clothes was like all right, like this is like out of the two, like this is obviously your worst, like the worst beat that you gave Jay. So like I, like change clothes doesn't do a lot for me. I can't like if I if I ranked every song on 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 a, on the Black album, it's probably bottom three. I'm not a huge fan. Uh, it's uh, and I love and I love everything the Neptunes do. I just don't. I just the song just doesn't hit for me. Yeah, I think more than anything, um, I think I think that you know, change clothes was really just something for the radio because yeah, even though this was you know the black album, you know, because I think I don't know if he was going for it in the Prince sense, or you know, Metallica or Weezer had black albums, but they were supposed to be kind of like you know, darker, not as pop, and mm-hmm. um, of course, Brick's black album was pretty much a bootleg that became Love Sexy, which was an okay album, but. I think Jay, you know, for him to have like, you know, just a singular pop track on the album just shows that, you know, he it was just generally his maturing as an artist. Like, okay, maybe I don't want to have something on here that's going to be on the radio. I don't want to have a glitzy video, which is probably one of his better videos because the fashion runway sequence is absolutely phenomenal. But absolutely allure is just one that it doesn't matter where you are in life. If you need motivation, you can listen to Allure because the piano is just, oh, my God. Like, yeah. I don't know what got into Pharrell's fingers that particular <laughs> night. But, you know, as soon as you hear, dun, 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 right. dun, 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 and it's like, this really is like, you know, some dramatic stuff. Like, you would really see Jay or anybody that's like, you know, has that persona walking into a meeting with the mob with no fear in their face and it's like golly i just want to get up and go do something with my life right. and, that, and, and that, yeah 
Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. That, and that kind of just like kind of sets the mood. Like, okay, like this is like, because again, it's like I think this, the whole the thematic thing, like, you know, this is just my last ride kind of thing. And I'm kind of going out like this. And, you know, you get the like the, the piano and the, on a lore. And he just kind of, again, this is one of his other introspective tracks on, on this album where he just kind of kind of goes into some places that we haven't seen from, from Jay. And he talks about, you know, Charlie Baltimore and all that, all that stuff like that. It's just so like, it's just, again, it kind of sets the themes. Like, this is who I am. This is, you know, this is what I'm about kind of thing and it's just to me that that's why that's why I changed clothes to me not to circle back but that's why I changed clothes like a little bit disappointing to me because it's like I get it like you know the way you explained it was perfect like change clothes was it was a radio single like that's I get it and that was the first single I think that dropped and I understand why you had to do that but I know Pharrell and Jay can give me a song like Allure and if I know that they can give me that song then that's why change clothes to me kind of falls a little flat but no Allure yeah, like you said something happened that day where Pharrell was sent down and it just like there was just magic. There was just magic in the studio that that day, and it was just it was just amazing. Yeah, and um, we haven't talked about the song that kind of sort of set it off because I remember Cosmic Kev playing it first mm-hmm. on one of the rare on one of the rare weekends I was home from DSU, and I remember saying, "If this is how this album is going to sound, then I am going to be standing in front of the store at, <laughs> in the dead of midnight." And that's what more can I say? Yeah. Because we, I mean, have we heard anything from the Buchanan since? I, I was because gonna, of that? Yeah, I was going to ask you. I'm like, I don't remember them really. Like, I kind of, kind of vaguely remember them before this, but not really. Like, I think I might have like saw them in like the source or something. But like, I don't remember anything from them since then. Me neither. But I still remember just you know the overall feeling of, yeah, he's really, he's coming for. I mean, he's coming for next this time. Like he's like he's. He's walking down the ramp, Stone Cold Steve Austin style. Here to blast that's your ass. That's what I got from what. And for him to use Russell Crowe screaming, "Are you not entertained?" Exactly. I said, "Oh my God, here we go." Yeah. And that song to me just really says that, you know, we. I mean, we ran it back. I mean, once I got a copy of it in the Hornet newspaper office at the issue, we ran that thing back over and over and over all day, all day, all yeah, day. All yeah, day, all yeah. day. We, we drove. We drove the women in the office crazy. Because we only had that one song. We only had that one song, but we just kept going back. You know, Prime Minister, back to finish my business up. And and they were just like, can you guys give it a rest? And we're like, no, because this is it for us. Like, like, like we didn't come, like, I didn't complain later that year when Destiny's Child DC3 put out their last album. Right, right. Because Lord, because Lord knows I got tired of hearing and losing my breath and, and you know and cater to you. But they had to give us what more can I say? But I just feel like that song really was a you know as far as like a leak goes to kind of sort of get a yeah. buzz going for the album. You can't do much better than that. No, you can't. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that was I think that was like the the quote unquote street sing- single that came out. I didn't. Yeah, you know, you know, it's hard to yell when the barrels in the amount. Like like it just like the energy on that song is like is incredible and then like the beat like the like underlying beat just kind of builds up and builds up and builds up it's just so good it's like and we're what, what 15 years removed from that i mean people still quote it people still sample it i you know i mean there's just there's just so there's so many jewels in that one song and like you said when you heard that you knew that this was going to be a this is going to be a special album um one thing about that song though i, I think i don't know maybe i, I was like a, a little subtle the game on this but wasn't this one of like the first kind of like allusions to Beyonce that he said had on an album on, on a song? Because remember he was like, "We got a problem, Houston. What's up, B?" I think that was one of the first times he actually referenced 
the whole Beyonce thing like on a song? I think so because people are. I mean, people listening to this, and I know I have some Beyonce fans in my uh, feed, and I come in peace. I don't <laughs> want no. Sta- I don't want no static with the no high. No smoke. I'm a- I don't want no smoke with the hive. I'm a Beyonce fan myself. I don't want no smoke with the hive. And I know people are going to say, what about Bonnie and Clyde? What about Bonnie and Clyde? I'm like, yeah, but that was more so, you know, just a matter of convenience. Like, I honestly think that was just like a cosmic, you know, sort of coincidence. Like, okay, you know, she's finna go solo for the first time. He's got this huge double album coming out. Are they or aren't they? Maybe this will put the rumors to rest. That's the feeling I got. From Bonnie and Clyde 03. Right. But what more can I say is real and of course, you know, what more can I say in dirt on my shoulder is pretty much him saying, Yes, Beyonce is mine. Right. I won. Right. Salute me. <laughs> that's <laughs> exactly. and, and that's where it starts. Yeah, no. So yeah, so yeah, what more can I say? Uh just just amazing. And then um it's just, it's just, it was just such a, it's just such a good album, such a good song. And then uh, the funny, the funny part of, though about that 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 song is uh, he talked about talks about the S dots on his feet. Make the cipher complete. Did anybody buy mm-hmm. those those Reebok S S dot Carters? Like, did they sell? Not that I recall, <laughs> because I think Reebok. I think what hurt Jay at that time was that he was too far ahead of his time. Yeah, because the Run DMC Adidas thing had got played out really quickly. Like you mm-hmm. know, as as the nineties turned to the aughts, right. and Reebok still had a signature star. That we are very fond of in this area. Of Absolutely. course, one Alan E, one Alan Ezel Iverson. So Iverson was remember Iverson did a commercial with Jada Kiss where he was rapping. Yep. And I can't, and those were the those were the answer sixes. Those were the eight sixes. I remember that very well. And <laughs> it just never really took. I mean, the S dots never took off because I don't recall them being a bad looking shoe, and I don't even recall them being all that expensive. Nope, it was just yeah. that Jay was just slightly ahead of his time. But I can guarantee you this, like a do- dollar to donuts, if he were to put out a retro S dot, he would kill his former producer little brother because God, God knows that crap he's putting out. It's it's like homeless people gear. <laughs> and, and, and if Jay could just like, you know, show him how it's done, like I'll show you how to do this, son. Exactly. He could put out the um, he could put out a retro S dot today. And it will probably sell because he's rebranded himself pretty well after, you know, admitting the foolishness of cheating on right. the finest woman and greatest entertainer on the planet. <laughs> it's it's funny how that how that works. I mean, you know, it's like it's 15 years later. And then, you know, the, the more we know about Jay-Z again, like, you know, being like, the you know, just, you know, being like a regular person to every man makes him on some level more appealing. And then just because of that, you know, you can kind of, re, you know, put out these shoes that didn't really sell that well. You know, back in the you know, like you said, the early aughts, and then you could probably, like you said, you could probably make a killing. Like you could probably make tens of millions of dollars on these shoes, and like you, they're way better than any of those Yeezys that 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 the other dude put out. Like it's it's not even it's not it's not even it's not even a question. And I guess we can kind of sort of wrap this up talking about the two Kanye beats on the album because they're actually really pretty damn good. They are. Um, of course, we got Encore, which is you know still one of my favorite gifts. Hype Jay Z Trucifer, you know, that is, you know, Jay talking about his his dude that died and how, you know, he's, you know, trying to keep the devil away. But this is when Kanye West still sort of like, you know, like he wasn't Kanye yet, but we knew he was coming. Mm-hmm. 
And he gave Jay two absolutely phenomenal beats, you know, at different points in the album because Encore was definitely, you know, in the early part, it was like the jiggy part of the album. Like, okay, right. this is this is me showing y'all that, you know, my radio chops are still strong. And then, of course, Lucifer, lead, Lucifer leads it to Allure, mm-hmm. which tells you where the album was going at that point. But Encore is still absolutely one of my fav- all-time favorite Kanye beats. Like, it just makes no sense how the horns just, you know, ride. Like, you know, you, you could give somebody, like, you could give me just a... A, a track with just the horns, just the da, 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 da. and I probably listen to it all day long. Like that sample is just absolutely phenomenal. And that again, that, and that's one of the kind of the things, the themes, I guess, you see on a lot of these albums, a lot of these songs on this album. Like ten seconds in, five, you know, fifteen seconds in, like you know, whether it's whether it's the piano keys or whether it's the, like the horns on on Encore or whether it's like you know PSA or whatever like that, or like you you like. These songs are instantly identifiable. Like as soon as you hear like the first few notes, you're like, okay, this is Encore or this is 99 Problems or this is, you know, this is Lucifer. Because because the way the Lucifer, like the piano keys hit, like they're, they're, like they're instantly identifiable. But like you said, they're totally different. Like the thematically they're different. Like you said, Encore is kind of like the party, the party part of the album. And then Lucifer, um, again, still kind of that introspective, you know, heading into a lore. Um, and props to, and props to, uh, for, to, to Jay for, a lot of people, when they kind of like have a track like Lucifer, like named Lucifer, it, it might just be like a, all right, this is, a, you know, this is a, just a word or, or, you know, a term I want to use. But Jay kind of kept those, you know, devilish angelic references like throughout the whole piece. And I, I think that was kind of a, that's kind of, kind of crafty because he kind of like weaved it, you know, wove it into to all three verses of the song, which is, which is pretty good. Um, the thing about Lucifer, I like this beat so much. Like, this is one of the albums, like, I don't know if you did this, and again, I'm probably dating myself, but when the Black album came out, people were still burning CDs. And so, oh, yes. so, um, and then they had, you know, all everybody and their mom did a remix of the Black album, because Jay put out the, the acapella, acapella album. So everybody put out, you know, their own remixes, and, you know, they mixed beats and all that stuff like that. So I put together, I burned a CD with basically my favorite remixes or my favorite version of every song on the Black album. And this was the only song, I think, I'm pretty sure it was the only song, only original song from the Black Album that I thought that this, the original was better than anybody's remix. That's on Lucifer. It was, the Lucifer beat, so it's so good. It just kind of blew everything out of the water. And like you said, it was one of the, one of those coming of age moments for, for Kanye. We, we missed two tracks on the album that we can talk about really quickly. Of course, there's Moment of Clarity from M. And this is where Jay actually talks about his dad's funeral, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And then, of course, my first song, which is the end of the album. And once again, it's that introspective, Jay. He even he even gives Kanye a formula going with, if, if I feel like it, I may do a 15th anniversary of the college dropout if he hasn't gotten on my nerves too bad. <laughs> but Jay, at the end of my first song, is talking about, you know, all the memories he's made, you know, with different people shouting out different folks. And, of course, Moment of Clarity is, you know, self-explanatory because of the title. Right. But... I think one, once again, when we talk about people who have mastered a craft, Eminem really does a good job of giving other people beats that don't even sound like him, but they work for the artist. Then you look at the credits, it's like, whoa, he did that? Yeah. 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 Like, like this is one of those beats where like, okay, like, like I can, like, well, once you know it's an Eminem beat, now you can, you can, you go back and say, okay, all right. You know what I mean? Because I could hear Eminem on that beat. And I can hear Eminem really destroy that beat. Um, like I, I would, I would have, I would love to hear like a J and M kind of go back and forth on a, on a beat like that. 
um, on Moment of Clarity. Um, but one thing, though, I, I guess we probably should talk about it since we're talking about Moment of Clarity. Because I, I know you remember, like, Jay took a lot of heat for, for that second verse on Moment of Clarity when he talked about dumbing down, his, dumbing down for his audience, you know, just to oh, double yeah. his dollars. You know, I'd rather, you know, lyrically, I'd rather be Talib Kweli, you know. Or, or, lyrically, I'd probably be Talib Kweli. It's like I want to rhyme like common sense. sense, you know, but I did five mil. I, I ain't rhyming like common. You know, I ain't been rhyming like common sense. Yeah, Jay took a lot of heat. He took a lot of heat for that um, when when if, that came out. Yeah, I think he because he had such a clout within the industry. People thought he was dissing when the reality was was that look, I respect the hell out of these guys. I would love to flow like them, but right. I'm greedy as hell. Exactly. So, so I mean, look, I mean, because I, I mean, because I remember. Hearing Kanye and I mean, I'm hearing Talib and Con and Common on Get Him High a few months later, and mm -hmm. I was like, that really must have pissed those dudes off because Common went off on Get Him High, right? Like he literally just went and just tore that beat to shreds. Yeah, and Kwali even stepped out of his comfort zone talking about you know, you know, meeting girls off a of black planet. Even though Kanye set that up, Kwali started you know, you know, being the uh, the the wingman on mm -hmm. a black planet meetup. Which tells you how long ago that was. <laughs> that's a long time ago, but, man. Yeah, man. People can oh, shoot. Man. That's Whew. that's a whole other conversation, probably a whole other podcast. Yeah. But I will say that overall, for me, the black album, 15 years later, it's aged really well because mm -hmm. you get you you get these um references and like you know, allusions to how not everybody's gonna rhyme in the next five or six years, but it definitely opens up a level of introspection that was only unique to people like DMX, Scarface, and Beanie Siegel at that point. But for the, the biggest dog in the game to market this as his last album, and then he treats it as such, mm -hmm. where he's talking about his mom, he's talking about his dad. He mentions, you know, finally claiming this starlet and, you know, how he, you know, how his career trajectory changed and how it made him, you know, the man he reached in 2004, it absolutely sort of gives people, gives different rappers the courage to say, okay, I can rhyme about, you know, the money I got or how I'm well-connected in the streets and how I take care of street business, but people need to know why right. I'm so focused on my money, why I can't leave the streets alone and all of that. And for Jay, the top dog to do it, it just, you know, it just set rappers off on a different path for at least a few years. Let me let me ask you a question since we're talking about this. At at the time, did you think that this was it for Jay? Did you think that that this was going to be his his truly last album? I believed it. Okay. I absolutely believed it. Because for me, I remember, you know, the opening of like, which is of course turned 20 earlier this year on Hip Hop's Greatest Day, September 29th, 1998. And he um he actually had to pay in the ass dude on the on the on the opening when he let Bleak tear up the premiere beat on Hand It Down. He said, "I quit. I'm retired." Mm -hmm. And I didn't believe it then because you know it just didn't make any sense for a dude on his third album to say, "All right, this is it for me." But after everything that went on in between that period, because people forget that you know 9/11 happened. Right. His his business partner lost his girlfriend three weeks before 9-11 in a tragic mm -hmm. way. And then, of course, he got dragged into the D-Block state property beef, which is still one of the greatest mixtape beefs of all time. <laughs> Somehow he got dragged into that 
while simultaneously battling his biggest rival. Yeah. So 2001, 2002 was really, you know, a toll on him. And then, of course, he meets this girl, you know, he probably doesn't know that she's going to become Beyonce. Right. He just thinks of her as another fine woman in the industry. Mm -hmm. But then, of course, she becomes the mother of his three children and his wife. Right. But he, he probably had no way of knowing that at the time. Right. So I probably think 2003 was it for him. It was like, okay, I've, I've, I've beefed with different people. I am entering a committed relationship for probably the first time in my adult life. Mm-hmm. I got nothing left. Right. I got nothing left to talk about. It's time for me to give it up. And of course, then of course, there's the whole thing about, you know, Russell and Lior pretty much throwing the bag at him, say, hey, right. run my label. Right. You ain't going to turn that down. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think he, I think you're right. I think he was at a, at a time in his life where, again, he's had you know had multiple number one, multiple platinum albums. I mean, he didn't have a lot to do left to do in the game, and you know he either you know he even rhymes about you know like I'm you know I'm getting older now. You know, I got, got to think about you know you know just leaving all of this other stuff behind. But let me kind of you know make this album be like my postscript to to that part of my life, and then move on from that. Um, but the thing is, though, like, if you just took his career from then now, though, like, he, like, he's, he's, he's done so much since then. You know, if you just, if you just kind of like struck that entirely from from the history books, and like Jay Z's career, like, you know, just started, like, you know, like, like Kareem Abdul Jabbar, like, if you just, just count his stuff, you know, after kind of career, like, after the three point line came in, or you know what I mean, like, if you just count Jay's career after the Black Album, like, it's a Hall of Fame career by itself. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He only got better as time went on because there is a there is a legit debate right now on Twitter whether American Gangster is better, and I honestly can't pick. I mean, reason. I mean, of course, reasonable doubt is still probably you know his greatest achievement from a business standpoint because him, Dame, and Kareem Burke literally put that album out by themselves. Right. But American Gangster for him. You know, for Denzel to say, look, I'm doing this about the biggest drug lord from your era, Mm -hmm. and I want you to do the whole album inspired by this movie. Right. And for him to absolutely deliver, absolutely deliver. Yeah. You know, it doesn't get much better than that. But I think, yeah, I I have to agree because, I mean, I wasn't a big fan of um, Kingdom Come, not going to lie to you. No, Kingdom Come wasn't good. We we, we can admit Kingdom Come was not good. (laughs) Yeah. I, th- I think people got excited because after two years, the first thing he jumps up with is show me what you got, which is one of those fun, just blaze horn punctured, right. you know, kind of tracks. But that album was horrible. But then he <laughs> makes the comeback with American Gangster. Yep. BP3 is OK. I like uh, it. I like it. Yeah. It's OK. But yeah, I mean, you know, and then after that, you know, he takes a little time off. Then it's Magna Carta, Holy Grail, which is, you know, another I can take it or leave it. But for the most part, you know, his career, you know, just, you know, from from all angles, from the businessman, the mm-hmm. rapper, the producer, the, the hip hop icon, the fashion mogul. Well, we can't we can't talk too much about him being a good father. I mean, I mean, a good <laughs> husband, probably a good father. We can't talk too much about him being a good husband. But, you know, most most of J3 is Hall of Fame worthy. And that just tells you, you know, his longevity is, you know. I don't know if it'll be surpassed by anybody in the near right. future. Oh no! But you'll probably be one of the last ones that we look at at least for a long time and say this dude did it better 
and longer than anybody else. And 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 he he kind of filled so many lanes just because you know just to add to that I mean he had the collabo with with Lincoln Park and he has you know watched the throne like as well so I mean like you like add those in there and just like you know like we talked about before with the sneakers and with the fashion and you know you know owning the nets and you know like basically everything he's done outside of music I mean he's he's just like like he he is a brand like Jay Z is a brand and he cultivated that brand you know kind of in the way that LeBron cultivates his brand. And like you said, like, I don't think we'll ever see, I don't think we'll see anybody of the current era, you know, have a career like Jay, where you've been in the game for, I guess, close to 30 years now, um, you know, you know, being a mogul in multiple, you know, being an all-time great in rap, but being a, you know, a power broker, a mogul in you know other facets of life as well. Like, I think it's just, it's just, it's just amazing. It's just amazing what, what Jay was able to kind of, kind of create, create, you know, uh, you know, create out of himself. I agree. And uh, tell people where they can find you on social media, you know, you know, where if, if you know, if people are looking, you know, for a good conversation about music, sports, you know, where can they find you on social media? Uh, you can catch me on Twitter at the BS line. That's at the BS line. Um, you can also uh, check me out. Uh, check out our Facebook page for the Brawl line at facebook.com forward slash the Brawl line or listen to all of the uh, Brawl line podcasts at uh, just subscribe on, on iTunes and Google Play and all sorts of good stuff. And again, you can listen to the Brawl Line every Saturday at 10 a.m. on 106.5 FM, Philly Cam Radio, where you can listen to me and Chris and, well, Chris Domingo and our associate producer, Chris, down in Delaware, uh, who we haven't met, but <laughs> has, has, has managed to be our associate producer on our show, always chiming in and giving us some great sports talk. So a lot of good stuff going on. So check it out. All right, Roy Burton, thank you for coming on the Groove Line. I greatly appreciate your time. Thanks, Chris, man. Let's do it again. All right, we will. And ladies and gentlemen, thank you for riding on the Groove Line. If you want to check in, go to soundcloud.com forward slash Pod. We are also on Stitcher Mobile and Apple Podcasts. Just search for the Groove Line. And don't be afraid to hit us up with some suggestions. Hit us up with some suggestions. Groovelinepod at gmail.com. And we are on Twitter at Pod. So ladies and gentlemen, once again, thank you for riding on the Groove Line. Just